Glory, glory, glory. Good to be with you again on uh, Luke. This is wonderful. Get a couple of goes at Luke. And uh, we're better to do it than Oceanside. What a church. What a morning. What a presence of the Lord in that worship. My, 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 my. Where else would you rather be this morning? Come on. Don't sound so excited about it. Get rid of all your excitement on all those testimonies. We're going to look at Luke 15. Uh, Jackie can't be with me this morning. Uh, I've got a little daughter-dad bonding time with my daughter. My second, we had three kids, a son and two daughters. And between them, they've given us eight grandchildren. And it doesn't get better than that, I can tell you. Grandkids are great. It's something to look forward for, you folks who don't have them yet. Because uh, with grandkids, you get all the good stuff. You don't have any of the responsibility. You just get to love them, enjoy them, jack them up with some sugar and send them home. It just can't get better. A couple of our kids have got dogs, and we don't have a dog, so if they're going to go somewhere, they often drop their dogs off. Two of my kids are in town in Victoria. And uh, my grandson said to me, Grandpa, you, you like our dog so much, why don't you get your own dog? I said, no, no, it's like grandkids. Somebody else has all the responsibility, pays all the bills. I just get to enjoy them now and then. <laughs> all right, we're in Luke 15. Glory. Luke 15, Luke 16. I uh, just really enjoy this chapter. It's a very unique chapter, as we're going to see. If you come out of 14, which you've done, you were 13, 14, I'm not sure what they centered on last Sunday. But uh, 14 finishes off with this call to be salt and light. If you look in your Bible, you see Jesus said salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, it's possible for our salt. We're the salt and the light of the world. And uh, it's very possible for us to lose our saltiness, according to Jesus. And uh, just thinking about natural salt, how does salt lose its saltiness? Well, it gets watered down is how it loses its saltiness. It's interesting uh, looking up about rock salt, which was popular in the region that was, this was being spoken into, that rock salt is saltiest closest to the rock. How do you like that? Uh, we want to stay close to the rock, amen, passionate about him, and not allow the things of this world to water us down. Everybody said amen. amen. But Jesus says here, uh, interesting, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he goes into chapter 15. So, Lord, we just want to pray that this morning. We pray you give us ears to hear. Just thank you for your presence in this service this morning. We've just been so enjoying you, Lord. Where else would we want to be than coming together? You just manifest yourself there. We thank you that you're with us always, and we can touch you in other places during the week. But it's just so, so good to come together. You manifest yourself there. There I am in the midst of you. And uh, we've really experienced that today in the testimonies and the worship. And so let your word, Lord God, let us experience you in your word. 
Let us be those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, Lord. Amen. So then we go right from Jesus saying that. Uh, you could lose your saltiness, be careful. And uh, he who has ears to hear and eyes to see. And then he goes right into 15.1 and talks about the saltiness of Jesus. That's our example. We're always emulating Christ. So now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the leaders of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I mean, how horrendous, you know. Jesus is at the center of the party and he's enjoying the fellowship with those who are the worst of sinners and the church was muttering. I mean, those who, are, who represented the church at that time, they were muttering, the leaders of the law. How many know we're called to be like Jesus? I just want to remind us this morning from this chapter that in our pursuit of holiness, being like him, which he's called us to do, right? Jesus said, be holy like I am holy. In our pursuit of holiness, we can't stay away from unholy people who we deem to be unholy. That is, in itself would be unholiness, by the way, because <laughs> we want to be like Jesus. We have this amazing picture put before us at the beginning of what Jesus is like. They had built this whole exclusive kind of community that pulled, not only were they not reaching out and touching the world, the church before Jesus came was actually pulling into itself, developed a whole theology around that of just us, look after us, stay away from the world, unclean, unclean, you know. But Jesus comes in and cuts right through that and gives us an example of how he wants us to walk. We come together here, we enjoy each other's fellowship, we enjoy him, but it's so that we can go out there and touch and infect the world and be salt and light to those around us. That's what he wants to highlight to us this morning. So in that call that God has got for us, I just want to remind us that it is very easy to have prejudices. There's something inside the heart of man it just wants to kind of make him feel, self, feel better by putting somebody else down, you know. Now, that's not what God has called us to. Neither ethnicity, society, or gender, or conduct is to keep us from loving people, according to the example of Christ and what he taught us and encourages us with. Very easy looking at ethnicity, but Jesus said, in Christ there is neither Greek nor Jew, slave or free, male or female. Jesus was way ahead of his time, wasn't he? 2,000 years ahead of his time. And now this whole inclusive, how many know that's one of the in words, you know? We have to move from being exclusive to inclusive, and the world's picking up on that and highlighting that right now. We kind of get a laugh watching the news. I say to Jackie, just let's hear how many times they say inclusive tonight. You know, it's just a, kind of an in word right now. It's supposed to be more than an in word. It's supposed to be a reality. It's supposed to be lived out in us. We should be the examples of that more than anyone else. Neither Greek nor Jew. Ethnicity should not keep us from touching people. One is not better than the other. God created all of these 
different cultures, and God loves it. God loves it like that, you know. When we were worshiping this morning, I just quickly saw a picture of just flagpole after flagpole all around this gym here. I'm not suggesting you're supposed to do that, but I just felt like it was a picture of what we're saying here this morning. God wants this church. This church is made up of different ethnic groups, and one is not better than the other. Like, we just need to declare that, you know. God loves the variety. Don't you just love coming into Christ and just enjoying the variety of what makes up his church? It's so wonderful. Different people approaching things from different angles. Not one better than the other. Not one color better than another. God loves us all the same. In Christ, we're all one. And not society, not slave nor free. Doesn't matter where you sit in the pecking order of society. It doesn't make you better than anyone else. Slaves are as exciting to us as those who are in the top echelons. That's, that's what God wants us to shoot for, you know, where we treat one another exactly the same, no matter what our social background is or where we are fitting into society. God loves us and he sees us the same, you know. And then not gender, not male nor female. Not one better than the other. They have different roles. And we're best when we learn what those roles are and we play those roles out. But it doesn't make us better if we're a man or a woman. Let me move on from that. How many know that holier than thou is not attractive to the world? Have you found that out, you know? (laughs) Just try that in the workplace, you know. Jesus, I just want to remind us, he was hanging out with everyone, and everyone was comfortable being around him. That's the, that's the thing I want to shoot for myself, you know. There was something about Jesus where people wanted to be with him, and they had everything you can imagine hanging on to them, you know. But there was an acceptance coming from Jesus that embraced them and made them feel comfortable in his presence. If he was looking down his nose like the Pharisees were, I mean, no wonder the Pharisees had to develop a a culture of exclusiveness. Nobody wanted to be with him anyways. But that's not supposed to be us. We're supposed to be like Christ. Jesus didn't lower the standards. I mean, he said, go and sin no more. He didn't participate in what they were doing that wasn't pleasing to God to make them feel comfortable. But something in Jesus, in the purity of Christ, in his presence, and in his love, his total acceptance of people, no matter who they were and where they were at, that's something God wants us to shoot for. I mean, I'm contending for that. I don't know about you, but I haven't got there yet, you know. But I want to be at the place where people just sense the total love of God and acceptance from me. Let me just point out about chapter 15, and as you're going to see, it's quite a unique chapter. It's all just dedicated to this one, one subject. But just before we get into it, I just want to point out a few things. There are three parables here that Jesus gives, and they're all for the same truth. I don't think there's anywhere else he did that. That's unique, you know. It's like Jesus gives a parable about this thing, and he just develops this whole thing, as we're going to see. And it's all just for this subject that we're talking about right now. If that hasn't been done anywhere else, I think it's a heads up to say, there's something important here to hear this morning, you know. 
This is unique. The last time I was here, I spoke on uh, Luke 6, 6. I know you all remember that. No, I don't blame you for not remembering. But uh, in Luke 6, we talked about this revolutionary love that Jesus just broke into society with that was just so beyond anything people could even imagine. I think it just rocked them. I think, did he just say what I thought he said? I mean, really? What did he say, you know? I want you to love, Jesus said in Luke 6. Those who don't particularly like you, you know. In fact, those who mistreat you. Say all manner of evil of you. Take advantage of you. I want you to love them with my love because that's the way I treat you. And there's three parables that we looked at when we looked at chapter 6, but they're all different parables. What we shared at that time was is that Jesus gave these parables to try and give an incentive. Jesus realized this is not natural man here, you know. To step into this is like he gives three parables to kind of encourage us along with that. Well, now I believe Jesus just moves from that and wants to come back to us many chapters later in chapter 15. It's like Jesus said, I want you to have this love that's not natural, it's supernatural. It's the same love that I have for you. I pour out my rain and my son upon those who deserve it and don't deserve it. In your eyes, I just bless him. And I want you to bless And now he's coming back saying, but by the way, it's not just for you and your family and your church. God wants us to learn to love each other, and it seems like we struggle even doing that sometimes. But we're brothers and sisters. We're all in the same church here together, and we need to reach out and embrace and look to develop. As Peter says, I want you to love each other. I recognize you're loving each other, but love each other more. There's no end for learning how to love one another. I just want to put a plug in for connect groups while I'm here, whatever you call them here. <laughs> when uh, COVID hit, I mean, Mark leading the church I'm part of in Trinity in uh, Victoria. I think like all pastors, he really wanted to kind of pull everybody together. And one of those would be to have a connect group. So he asked us if we would lead a connect group during the COVID time which we did, and we're coming out of it. We're not giving it up. We absolutely love it. But in leading his church and being all over the world, I haven't been a part of a connect group for so many years, and I haven't led one. But uh, we've just grown to love it again. And thought, why did we ever drop this, you know? It's so glorious getting together with a bunch of people. And we've been together for a bit of time now. We've gone through some things together. We meet regularly. We love on each other and encourage one another. And we're just looking to develop this kind of love that Jesus called us to. And it's glorious. It's wonderful. I feel like there's just deeper levels of love that God wants to take us into. I recommend it to you if you're not part of a group here. Get involved. Make Christianity real. Why was I telling you all that anyways? There must be a good reason for it. No, that love, that love that we're to develop with one another and nurture in here, that's so that we can go out there, not pull ourselves back and think, well, I've just got my church, it's us poor no more. No, it's so that we can learn to love out there. And Jesus is saying, by the way, it's not just for you, it's for the world. I want you to love. I want you to see the love that I have for all those that are out there. Maybe those people of lives have been clouded by sin. I mean, we've all been clouded in some way. But how many know a diamond in the rough is still a diamond? You know? And it's still hugely valuable, you know. 
It just needs a few things chipped off and needs shining up and cleaning and whatever they do to diamonds to make them glow, you know. But it's still a diamond. And God wants us to look at every person, every person we touch, you know. All those people at work or in school or in the marketplace. Don't you just love getting into this? I mean, I just, I just love looking for this now. I, mean, I want to encourage you to do that. Just look for the diamond that's in every person. Every person is unique in some way. And maybe they don't think the way you think, or they don't approach things the way you approach, or they don't look like you, or they, don't, they have a different culture altogether. But it's just fun going up to people. I'm trying to get into this, you know. I said to my daughter, why don't you stand up, Heather, and smile at everybody? Is she beautiful? She's from Alberta, but we don't hold that against her. One of my kids took two of my grandkids to the other side of the Rockies, but still getting over it, but we love her. I said to her, Heather, you should come and preach this message this morning, because right from a little girl, she just had this ability to love people and enjoy people. And up to this day, we get over to her house to visit her, I mean to visit her and uh, our grandkids. And, uh, <laughs> and they always just have this buzz of saved and unsaved people coming through their houses like a circus, you know. It's just not the way I've lived, but I'm not surprised. But I just want to kind of get more of Heather in me, more of the Lord in me, and just being able to make people feel comfortable around me who are not like me. The second thing just to notice about these parables before we get into them, that in all three of them something important was lost. Each time it's something of more worth. Starts out with one in a hundred, the sheep, remember? One in ten, the coin. And then one and two, two sons. Now, Jesus did that on purpose. That, that is a powerful promotional tool, I'm thinking, you know, a teaching tool. You don't see him do it ever again. But it's like he just kind of honed it down. He started out with one in a hundred, one sheep, one coin, and one person. But as we see in each of them, he doesn't leave us wondering what it's about. He lets us know at the end of each of these parables, this is all about people, by the way, you know, talking about people. You may be talking about a sheep here and, uh, and a coin and a person, but I'm talking about people that I want you to love the way I love them. And then thirdly, I want you to notice that they all end in a party, earth experiencing heaven. So let's get into it here in uh, chapter 15, verse 3. Take a look at one, the first one. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Well, we think, well, I don't know. <laughs> Got a hundred sheep. I mean, what's the loss of one more sheep, you know? A sheep at, at, in today's money would probably be worth about a hundred dollars. I mean, you still got a hundred other ones, you know, $10,000. But everybody listening to this in this farming community and, and uh, mindset, they would have gone, yeah, of course he would. He would leave and he would go get out of his comfortable place, get out of the comfortable church, get out of my comfortable home, and he would go and he would look for that lost sheep. You get the picture. He would go after him until he finds him. And Jesus is not talking about sheep here again. Remember, they were murmuring about sinners. 
Jesus is speaking into that. Then he told them. They were murmuring. He was loving people, no matter what they were into or what they were doing. And they were muttering. And then Jesus told this parable. These three parables. Because he wants to just highlight this whole fact. How much worth does God put upon one lost sheep? A good question for us. When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Pretty clear, isn't it? <laughs> A lot of the, the, the uh, parables, you must admit, you think, what's he really trying to say there? I mean, take it different ways. You know. Jesus is telling these and making it very, very clear to us what he's trying to say to us. And I just want to point out that there's rejoicing in heaven over one soul, just one soul getting saved. And we get to enter into that. Don't you find that? Somebody gets saved. I mean, it's just, <laughs> there's a party that starts happening inside your heart, you know. I think it's just heaven dancing up there over one person that came to Christ. And we get in on the party. Hallelujah. All right, let's move on to the second one. And then verse... Eight, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully? Does she not search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors. It's party time again. I mean, she's rejoicing, but she wants all her friends and neighbors to hear about this. Does she not light a lamp? And then she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice in me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Wow! How much does God value one soul? I think the Lord is just one lost soul. I mean, look at all the thousands, the millions around the, the world. That have already in Christ. They're already yours. Jesus said, no, my heart is for all of those. I made them. They're unique. They've been made in my image. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. And I love every one of them and all the different things they mix themselves up in. I don't hold that against them. I just love them just the way they are. And I want you to get that love and be willing to get out of your comfortable place. You think it's only one coin out of ten coins. But that coin, a silver coin, depending on the price of silver, today would be worth around $1,000. This ten coins could have been her whole estate, you know. It's not like losing it. Where did that quarter go? We hardly look for a quarter anymore, do we? <laughs> Hard to get excited about a toonie or a loony, you know, going missing. But no, we're talking about some serious cash for this gal. And that's the kind of passion God wants us to have. Then our third one here is in verse 11. Jesus really brings it home now. He doesn't bother with symbols. He goes right for it. Jesus continued, there was a man. Okay, we're talking about people who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Kind of brings it right down, doesn't it? I mean, one in a hundred we can go. That's just one more sheep, you know. One in ten coins? Ah, well. 
Yeah, it's $1,000. But how about one out of two sons, you know, especially in this society here? I mean, sons are right up there. You know. There's nobody who would say, well, I still got a son, you know. <laughs> i bother about the other one. I still got eight grandkids. Who cares about another one? I don't think so. Uh, Jesus is just out there, and he just hones it right down to right where we're living. We're talking about people here. One out of two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. <laughs> That's a pretty desperate place to come to, isn't it? Our God just lets us come to the end of ourselves, I believe. I mean, you can't get lower than that. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And there, here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, and you love that? His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick! He ran to him, quick, you know. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have... A party again. We're back at a party again. Let's celebrate here. My son who was lost has been found. So they began to celebrate. What a God we have. I mean, you think this is Father, this is a picture of the of God, you know. That's how God looks at us, you know. You think, aren't you blown away when you come into the kingdom? It's just first thing you get saved and you you're in relationship with the God who created the universe, you know. I mean, you want to say, once your eyes start to be open to who he is and what he called you to, the natural thing is like this son to just pull back and say, treat me like one of your slaves. I mean, I don't have any rights here. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not worthy of any of this, you know. But here's the father. I mean, just, just turning and heading towards home a long way up. That's our father looking longing with compassion and love. And there's nothing that we have to do to earn full rights as sons, full authority. Bring the robe, bring the ring. That's, all of those speak of the authority of God. Just brought fully into the, the kingdom like anybody else. If you're sitting here and you've been saved like myself for going on 45 years or more, or you just got saved a few days ago, we're in the same place before God. I mean, I learned a few things. I can impart a few things to you. But hey, we're in the same boat here. God looks at us exactly the same. He said, my son, my son, my daughter. It's an awesome thing. A really, really awesome thing. This love of God.
And here we have a party again. But the elder brother can't get in on it. That, unfortunately, can be a lot of people sometimes. Just the contrast of the elder brother's heart here, let him work and prove his worth. It's kind of what the elder brother is saying. He made his choices, have to suffer the consequences of that, made his bed, let him sleep in it. You can just add what you want onto that, you know. That's the natural man, natural man's way of thinking. But God's grace and love to fully embrace us as sons is an overwhelming thing. I just finished reading a book. Somebody recommended a book to me, and I recommend it to you this morning. It's just a short thing. I read it fairly quickly. But it's called Heaven, um, Let me, An Unexpected Journey. Heaven, An Unexpected Journey. You can get it on Amazon, on Kindle, and you can start reading it today. But I recommend it to you because... I've read stories of different people who have died and gone to heaven and come back to earth, but I've never read one like this. This guy is a pilot and a businessman, and he's only interested in making money and living for himself in the process. And uh, he gets an uncurable disease that just quickly brings him to uh, being able to being uh, able to function, and then he dies. Just before he dies, his, his wife's a Christian, by the way. She loves the Lord part of a prayer group. They're contending for his salvation. He thinks it's all rubbish, doesn't want anything to do with it. You get the picture. So now he dies. But just before he dies, he says these few words. He just suddenly realizes, God, I mean, I could die at any minute. He says, God, help me. And then just before he breathes his last breath, he says, oh, God, forgive me. And he finds himself in heaven. <laughs> and he's so blown away. He's going, what am I doing in heaven? I don't belong here. And just as he's on the way to heaven, hell is pulling at him saying, no, you belong to us. No, you belong to us. And his description of hell is worth reading the book in itself. But then heaven pulls him in because he'd said those things. Like the guy standing on the, you know, hung on the cross next to Jesus. Didn't say very much. But from the heart, he just cried out to Jesus. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, I tell you this story because he gets to look a bit at heaven, and that's kind of fun to read. But then he meets Jesus. And he said, the most overwhelming thing about meeting Jesus was this unbelievable love that you can feel emanating from him. And two things are happening, he said. You realize, in heaven, you don't have to talk, you just know. But he said... You know that you know he knows everything about you, all the stuff that I've done all my life. There's no hiding from it. There's no pretenses. There's no putting on airs. Jesus looks right through you and knows everything about you. But there's this total love and total acceptance. That's such a picture of our God, isn't it? I mean, it's mind-blowing. He knows everything about you, but he forgives you. He loves you. And he accepts you fully and holds none of that against you. None of that can hold you back in the eyes of God. You don't have to earn anything with God. You're already there. But the beauty of the thing is, is that he comes back to life. I mean, they're just about to pull, unplug the machines. He's been brain dead for 11 hours. I mean, it's just impossible. That he, there's no way he could come back to life. He comes back to life and he gets completely uh, freed up from all the symptoms over a period of time of his disease. And God says to him when he's standing before him and he's overwhelmed with this love and he, heaven is so unbelievable, it's indescribable. He said, you never want to leave there. No desire to go back, no matter what's happening on earth. 
And he said, Jesus said to him, now I want you to go back and I want you to tell others what you've seen. So he comes back. He's never spoken in front of a crowd before. He's done a few things with business, but he's overwhelmed this fact that Jesus wants to tell him. The doors start opening is a whole story. But uh, he just goes and tells people. But the most, most amazing thing about it is, and his wife and his friends around him can't get over, is the fact that he has this burning love for people now that he never had before. He said, I just block people off, you know, they're this, they're that, you know, all these cliches that we come out with. And never had time for people. He was just pursuit, was all on money and himself. And, uh, and now his wife just can't get over it. Here he just loves people. <laughs> he just wants to be around people. He wants to tell them how much God loves them. Isn't that a picture of what God says to us? We, we are not going to, I'm not suggesting you should die and go off to heaven and meet Jesus. Just, just make that clear, you know. Most of us don't get to do that. I wouldn't want to go through what he had to go through to do it. But what I really would love to do is to get closer to Jesus. Because the closer you get to him, the more you realize how much he loves you. And I want that love to impact me so much that, like him, I want to reach out to people with that kind of love. Isn't that worth pursuing? That's what we're here for. It's actually the most important thing. We get caught up in all these things that God calls us to be involved in, and uh, I love it. I've loved all that the Lord's involved me in over the years. But the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13 that it's not worth anything if it's not done with his love. I just have this burning desire to grow in his love, and I wanted to come and encourage you with that and hopefully impart to you some of that. God calls us to a lost world that's lost in sin of every kind. I mean, hookers and, and uh, tax collectors. Tax collectors were the worst of the worst. I mean, bezzlers, you know. How comfortable we are, are we around? I mean, Jesus just gives an extreme example here, but how, how uncomfortable are we? around people and all the stuff they're involved in. Lord, take us deeper into your love. We love, but Lord, we love so superficially. Lord God, help us love with a greater love. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to come and share. I thank you, Jesus, that you saved me. I thank you, Lord, that you've given me a passion to love more deeply, Lord, with your love. I pray that you would encourage every person in this room, Lord God, who knows you, Lord, to go deeper in your love for one another, but also for that world out there, Lord. We just trust you, Lord. Open our hearts, Lord, this morning. You know where every person is at in their walk with you, Lord. You know how much love we withhold, Lord, and how much we give. Lord, we're asking you to take us into that revolutionary love that you have, not just for one another, but for a world that's dying out there and is so impacted by your love. Jesus, Zacchaeus, just one encounter with you, Jesus. And he said, I won't steal anymore, Jesus, and half of what I've stolen I'll give to the poor. Radical, radical, radical. Lord, you know where every one of us is at. We surrender our lives to you afresh this morning. Pour your love into our hearts, Lord, and pour it through us to a dying world now, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen.